morning. Why don't we um, pull back together? We're, gonna, we're going to gather together, so come back in. Have a seat, please. We're going to pull back together. Good morning. Just wrap up those conversations. You can bring your whoopie pie to your seat. That's totally fine. Thank you to um, Mama's Family Ministry for the decorations and the whoopie pies. That's very nice. So thank you for that. Um, my name is Bjorn Anderson, and I serve on the elder team and the leadership team here. And I have an important announcement that I wanted to share with us, with our uh, congregation here this morning, before I invite Sam up to, um, to teach and lead us in a time of looking at God's word. Uh, as, as many of you know, we have been in a season of pastoral transition, really, over the last year. This past summer, there was a candidate team formed um, who began to evaluate our first candidate. And this week, the candidate team recommended to the elders um, that Sam Huggard be brought to the congregation for a member vote for him to be installed as our next lead pastor of Be Free Church. Um, so that, just some, some context and next steps of how that is, has unfolded and how it's going to take place, or what the next steps will be. The, it is about a year ago now that our former lead pastor and founding pastor, Jamie Hemphill, felt like, uh, announced that God was leading him out of his time of pastoring Be Free, and so last November he stepped off staff as our senior pastor. We had an associate pastor, Tim Donworth, and he also um, moved and was called out of this role in January. So for about nine months, we have been in a season of pastoral transition where we do not have any pastors on staff here at Be Free. We formed a transition team during that time, people who were involved in leadership in the church, and, and we were also shepherded by Sam himself during that time. Sam serves as the district superintendent for the E-Free Church in New England. He walked with the transition team, thinking about our needs as a church and how to identify another pastoral candidate. He did a lot of the preaching, teaching, and pastoring here in the church during these last few months. And during that time, Sam himself, along with his wife Wendy, were discerning a call that they were that he would actually fill the pastoral role here at Dover Be Free. This is a dual calling role where Sam will continue to serve as the district superintendent for the E-Free Church along with a team to help uh, offload some of his responsibilities there and will also serve as the lead pastor of Be Free Dover. We formed a candidate team, uh, which was a team tasked with evaluating Sam in that position. They worked really hard this summer and they did things like um, worked through the work of the transition team to identify what type of leader we're looking for next. They looked through a lot of Sam's, uh, his resume, his writing, his um, beliefs to affirm that he would be a good fit. They also worked with uh, people in the district of the E-Free Church to uh, get some advice on interviews and advice on how this dual calling would work where Sam is pastoring the church and also working in the district. And then they conducted two interviews, one with Sam individually and one with Sam and Wendy together, and then they have recommended uh, that Sam be brought to the congregation for a vote. So on behalf of the elder team, we're saying, we think that's a great idea. So we are going to bring Sam to the congregation uh, for a vote or to the membership of Be Free Church for a vote. 
Here's what's going to happen in the next steps. Next Sunday, September 18th, we're going to have a potluck after church, which is going to be an opportunity uh, for the candidate team and the elders to present in a little more detail our beliefs on why we think Sam is an excellent candidate for this position. You'll also have a chance to hear from Sam himself a little bit around his vision and dreams um, for our church and what, where we're going in the next season. That's going to be next Sunday, September 18th. In the weeks following, Sam will work to visit the community groups that are, that are uh, currently in existence in our church. He and the elder team will also be available for smaller group conversations and interactions uh, around any questions or things that you might want to talk about. And we are going to hold a special meeting on Sunday, October 16th, in just over a month, to do a member vote uh, on Sam being our next pastor. And if there is a two-thirds majority, then he would move forward with being installed as the pastor. Um, that is a vote that is, is for members of the church, and you need to be present to vote. So we'd like to get that date out early, that it's going to be Sunday, October 16th. All of this will go out to members in an email uh, this week, and we'll continue to clarify more of it. Uh, at the potluck next week. But we feel like this is a, an important and joyful time. Uh, God has been at work in our church through this season of pastoral transition. Sam and Wendy have been a big part of that in sort of guiding the ship, and we're excited that God has called him to consider this role, and we're excited um, to, to walk through these next steps with you as a congregation. So I'm going to actually invite Sam up because he's going to be teaching. And so I'm going to pray for him and pray for our time. Um, and so join me in prayer for that. Hello, Sam. How are you? Nice to see you. All right. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you that um, you are a God in community as the three-in-one God and that you call us into that community um, through your son Jesus, through the fellowship in the Holy Spirit, and through your church. We thank you, Lord, for your global church um, all around the world. We're gathered to meet. We're, we're thankful uh, to be a small part of that. As we gather this morning in Dover, we know people are gathering in Africa and Indonesia and Guatemala and Colorado and Rochester, New Hampshire, to worship you, and uh, we're glad to be a part of that. Lord, we thank you for Sam, for Wendy, for their family. We thank you for his leadership and for um, him listening to your voice and that you um, have called him to consider this role of being the next senior pastor, lead pastor of our church. We pray for discernment in these next steps um, for us as a body, for Sam and Wendy, and we pray that you'd continue to guide us as our good shepherd as you have in the past. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, excited to have that announcement. I've uh, really uh, been thrilled being part of this church over the past year. Uh, when I first kind of came in and started working with the elders, I was just so thankful for them, uh, impressed with their hearts for this church, um, their competency. And then uh, getting to know the transition team, um, the, I just sensed a strength uh, in the core of this church, of people who really desired to see this church uh, effective in mission in this community, uh, being able to get to know a staff a little bit better, Christy and Grace. Uh, clearly, I mean, you just have a, a strong group of people uh, here in this church, and I'm excited uh, for the potential of this church, uh, why God has planted this church here in downtown Dover, and uh, what the future holds. Um, so God, God willing, I look forward uh, to being part of that uh, with you all and getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, uh, we are launching into a uh, te new teaching series 
that'll go um, through the fall and actually likely through a good chunk of the spring as well. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And partly why we're looking at the book of Ephesians is I don't think there's any clearer place in the scriptures where we get a good picture of God's intentions for his church than in the book of Ephesians. And so it's a wonderful season for us all as a church as we're considering future direction uh, to be going back to the source, to looking at God's word and what God is calling for us uh, to be and to do as a church together. Um, so as was mentioned earlier, there are some ESV scripture journals on the back table. Um, I encourage you to grab one. Um, what you'll find there is the scripture on one page and then just uh, space for writing on the other. And I encourage you to lean in to this book over this year. Uh, you can take notes here, uh, read some more at home, uh, be talking together in community groups. This is a great tool for really digging into God's word and what he has to say to us. So uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, an introduction today. Before we do that, though, uh, why don't you uh, join me in prayer? Lord, how thankful we are uh, that you have given us your word, uh, that you have communicated uh, through ordinary men, uh, your intentions uh, for us. Uh, you've let us know what's true because we wouldn't know it otherwise. Lord, how lost we are apart from you, how good your intentions are towards us, uh, what you have done to rescue us, and how you're calling us to live now, both individually and as your people. And so I thank you for what we discover here in this book of Ephesians. And God, my prayer is that you would give us eyes to see uh, what you have for us uh, in this letter. Uh, God, what we discover here is so big that I don't think we're going to get our minds fully around it. Uh, but even the parts we can't understand fully, would you help us to be able to live regardless? Uh, would you make it possible by your Spirit for us to live based on this truth? I pray now you'd give me um, clarity of words, and I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be our guide and our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a uh, show of hands here. How many of you uh, wear corrective lenses of some sort. Contacts, glasses. All right, quite a few of you. Uh, I am also a member of the, uh, the Four Eyes Club. I have my glasses right here. I can't see you too well, though, because I have my contact lenses in, so both together don't work too well. Um, glasses are a great help when you want to be able to see things rightly, clearly, fully. I was uh, in sixth grade when I first got my glasses. Uh, I don't think I, I had that pair of lenses very long. I lost them on the playground. And um, my poor parents, I don't know how many sets of glasses they bought for me over the years. Um, I had the, uh, the, the Rex Specs. I was a basketball player. I wore uh, those goggles until about junior year when I got my, my contact lenses. And when I got my contact lenses, it was like life came into focus. I was a point guard in high school. And when I got my contact lenses, I got this thing called peripheral vision back. I, I could see kind of out the side of my, 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 my sight. Things were beginning to look clear because of these corrective lenses. Uh, my wife also wears uh, contact lenses and glasses. And she actually got her lenses uh, a little younger than me. Uh, she was four years old when her parents discovered that she couldn't see so well. She was sitting at the TV right in front of it looking at it. And they thought, man, uh, what are you doing looking so close? And so they took her in. Sure enough, she needed glasses badly. And after she got her glasses, uh, the first thing she said, she looked at her mom and said, Mommy, your teeth have lines. 
Before that, she couldn't even see the lines in the teeth. And so all of a sudden, she could see rightly, clearly, fully. And I want us to keep that idea of glasses or contact lenses kind of in the back of our minds as we go through Ephesians because this is what the book of Ephesians is for us. It's a set of lenses that helps us to see rightly, clearly, fully. Now, not being able to see rightly, clearly, fully is problematic, as all of you who have lenses know. Uh, but even worse is not being able to see rightly, clearly, and fully and not realizing it. What if you didn't even know that what you were looking at was not correct? What if you didn't even know that your sight was hindered? See, the scriptures are telling all of us that that is our condition in life apart from God giving us new sight. That all of us have a soul view that is blind, that is fuzzy, that is confused, and we need glasses for the soul to be able to see life rightly, clearly, fully. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 23, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What Jesus is saying is, if you think you see life rightly, but actually you're seeing life wrongly, how bad is your situation? And all of us find ourselves in this predicament. There are things that we think are just right in life when in actuality are wrong. And so God gives us a set of glasses, a way to see rightly. And this is what Ephesians is going to do for us. Matter of fact, this is one of Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I love this prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, what a great phrase, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He's saying, I'm praying that you'll be able to see reality that you don't realize how much you actually have in Christ. You don't realize how good Jesus actually is. You don't understand how good his way of life is. I'm praying you'll see it. The eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Seven times in this book, you'll run into the phrase mystery. Well, Paul will pray or say or preach that the mystery of Christ would be made clear. Um, and that word mystery, it's not like a, a whodunit uh, crime-solving uh, phrase. The word mystery in the scriptures is always about something that was hidden that has now been revealed. Something that was in the dark that is now brought to light. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says this about his letter. He says, in reading this, in reading this letter, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Now, Paul is saying that prior, generation after generation before Jesus, had not understand, did not understand, did not see God's good purposes and how to address what has gone wrong in our world. But now in Jesus Christ, this is becoming revealed, becoming clear. And Paul wants us to see how in Christ we can see life rightly, clearly, and fully. 
So this is what we're going to do in this teaching series. We're going to try to put on the glasses of Ephesians by which to see life. So if you have a Bible or a scripture journal, let's just look at the first two verses together. This is kind of an introduction into the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You'll find in most of Paul's letters, he begins with an opening somewhat like this, usually identifying himself, who he's writing to, and then an opening greeting. So this is not uh, untypical for Paul. But don't just discard it as being a formulaic opening to his letter. There is much to understand here about who is writing, who he's writing to, and why he's writing. So let's just understand this to set up our teaching series in Ephesians. First, who wrote the letter of Ephesians? Clearly, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Now, if uh, you have been um, a Christian for some time, or if you've been uh, coming to church for quite some time, You may be familiar with the Apostle Paul. Uh, He wrote a good chunk of the New Testament scriptures, um, but he was not always a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was originally born into a Jewish family who uh, who were also Roman citizens. And it's important to note that. He came from a Jewish family, but also full Roman citizens. And he was not born with the name Paul. Uh, He actually was born named after Israel's first king, King Saul. And uh, so Paul was born as Saul in the city of Tarsus. Tarsus is located in uh, modern-day Turkey. It was a city of about 500,000 people, a massive city in that day. So Paul grew up in a very cosmopolitan, cultured kind of setting. Tarsus was the center of much learning and education. And sometime along the way, Paul and his family moved from Tarsus down to Jerusalem, also a fairly large city. And there in Jerusalem, Paul studied under the leading Jewish religious scholar of the day, Gamaliel. So Paul is a cosmopolitan guy. He's also a very intellectual, educated guy. Paul is incredibly smart. Um, And what you need to know about Paul is that his first response to the message of Jesus was not joyful reception, but deep opposition. When Paul first heard about Jesus, it did not sound like good news to him. It sounded like bad news. Uh, He actually worked actively against the Christian movement in his day. He was so opposed to it. Now, that may have been the case for some of you. Maybe at one point for some of you in your life, the message of Jesus did not sound like good news. Maybe for some of you, you heard some of the teaching that the scriptures have Um, and it sounded like, boy, that sounds like it's going to curb my fun, or it doesn't sound like freedom. It it didn't sound like good news to you at first. Maybe that's the case for some of you right now. Maybe for some of you right now, the message of Jesus does not sound or appear to be good news. Or, Or maybe it's the case for some of those that you are very close to right now, that someone that you hold dear in life does not think the message of Jesus appears to be good news. Know this, God completely changed Paul's perspective. 
The man who at one point was deeply opposed to the message of Jesus became someone so passionate about Christ that he's writing this letter from a jail cell, that he's willing to be imprisoned for the sake of Christ. There was a radical change that happened in Paul's sight about who Jesus is and the goodness of following him. We need to remember and hold dearly this fact that God changes lives by changing our perspectives on who Jesus is and on his gospel. And the way this happened is that Paul was on his way to the city of Damascus. And he was on his way because he was going to find a, fo- some, a group of followers of Christ in Damascus so that he could arrest them. And on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus. Um, it says that there was a great light from heaven that shone upon Paul as he traveled. And I love the, uh, the imagery here and the paradox. This great light from heaven shone blinding Paul physically so that Paul's eyes could be opened spiritually. So while Paul is blind for a a period of days, he begins to think through the message of Christ. And then God sends uh, another Christian to Paul who restores his sight miraculously. And Paul begins to see that the Jesus he was opposing is actually someone who loves him dearly and has died for him. See, the thing that changed Paul was grace. The Jesus he hated loved him. The Jesus he opposed was receiving him and pursuing him. And so Paul's spiritual sight was radically changed from being opposed to Jesus to loving Jesus. And so Paul identifies himself here, not as Paul, a Jewish man, or Paul, a Roman citizen, or Paul, a really educated guy, but Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle just means one sent. He says, Jesus has got a hold of me, and he's sending me now. I'm all about him and his mission. Paul's identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ and what he has done for him. So who wrote this letter? The Apostle Paul, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, Second question, where is this letter being sent and to whom? Where is this letter being sent and to whom? Well, Paul writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, Let's first unpack the word saints. Um, What comes to your mind when you first hear that word saint? Maybe you have a, a relative who's a really devout moral person. Maybe it's a famous person like Mother Teresa. But I'm sure we all have an image that comes to mind when you hear the word saint. And I'm guessing for all of us, what image comes to our mind is not the image that came to Paul's mind. See, because Paul uses that word saint to refer to any and all Christians. He doesn't use it to refer to a few elite, really devoted religious types. He uses it for any person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He is writing to all the Christians right now in Ephesus. You see, all that saint means is set apart. That's what the word saint means. It doesn't mean especially holy. It means set apart. Uh, The past couple weeks, some of you know, uh, my wife and I have been uh, packing up our home in Alton, New Hampshire, and been moving down to Rochester. So there has been a lot of sorting that we have done. That goes to the garbage. You know, that's going into the new home. That's going into storage. And we've been making piles and filling boxes based on this, this sorting. Some things get set apart. 
And some things get set apart into especially important or special piles. Some of our belongings we hold really dearly. Uh, we had this one uh, china cabinet in our dining room that my wife's great-grandmother had. And this has become pretty special for us. It's very meaningful. And so as we were uh, packing it up, you know, we said, let's make sure we take especially good care of that china cabinet. Which is why my wife was so surprised when I tasked Jim Cooper with the safekeeping of this china cabinet. But it is now in our new home, safe and secure, so my faith has been rewarded. That was special to us, and so we set it apart. Put extra wrapping around it, extra padding, be careful in the moving. And what Paul is saying to us is that if you are a follower of Jesus, God has set you apart into the special category. He's saying, I have my gaze on you, I have brought you into my family, um, you are rescued, redeemed, I have set you apart. And I don't think we grasp this naturally. We don't really think that the God of the whole universe has his gaze upon us and has set us apart because he loves us. And that's what Ephesians is one of the things it's unpacking for us. Paul wants us to see who we are in light of how Christ sees us. Set apart saints. Second phrase to unpack here is it's to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, many of the earliest manuscripts do not have the phrase in Ephesus. Many of the early manuscripts just say to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus, which is interesting. And this is the letter to the Ephesians. Why don't a lot of the early manuscripts have the phrase in Ephesus? And there's a couple thoughts about why that might be. Um, some people have thought that what it is is this letter was first sent to the Ephesians, but as was common in that day, these letters get sent around to all kinds of churches. So other churches received this letter. And most of Ephesians is applicable not just to one church, but many churches. So over time, you know, some churches removed the in Ephesus, so it was more applicable to their church. Other people think that this letter was first written to a whole group of churches, and then the Ephesians in particular latched onto it, and over time it became tied to that church. Either way, the point is, the church in Ephesus received this letter and was shaped by this letter. So I think it's important to understand the context of Ephesus if we're going to understand the letter. So uh, bear with me, I got a little background on the city of Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was a city four miles inland from the Aegean Sea in modern-day Turkey. And about 225,000 people uh, lived in Ephesus. Again, a pretty large city uh, for that day. It was a crossroads of trade and culture. Uh, it was a very pluralistic society. Lots of different belief systems, lots of different ethnicities, nationalities, all lived in Ephesus. Um, architecture can tell us a lot about a city. And there's three key buildings that I want to share with you that were in Ephesus. One is they had a huge theater that sat 24,000 people. And that's a massive building for that age, 24,000 people. And obviously there's no modern um, amplification. And they had crafted it in such a way that all the people could clearly hear the person speaking. Just a marvel of engineering and how they built this amphitheater. So uh, it was a center of culture and performance. Uh, second building is there was a large temple in Ephesus uh, built for the worship of the goddess Artemis, also called Diana. 
And uh, this goddess uh, was the goddess of sexual fertility and was represented by a goddess with many breasts. And this city was shaped by this temple. It was a massive temple. Uh, let's see. Uh, it was four times larger than the Parthenon. An enormous structure. And this temple exerted a huge influence on the city. It promoted a worldview shaped by the worship of sexuality. And it influenced the whole city. Third building. There was another temple. So there were two temples in Ephesus. The second temple was dedicated to the worship of the imperial cult. Uh, the worship of Caesar. And these existed all over the Roman Empire. Uh, we have a hard time thinking about this. Because uh, in our day, the separation of church and state is so distinct. But in that day, it wasn't anything but that. Matter of fact, Caesar required that people would worship him as Lord. So the phrase, Caesar is Lord, had to be uttered by Roman citizens. And so at this temple, people would worship Caesar. So just think about this picture here. This large amphitheater for the uh, celebration of entertainment. This large temple to the worship of sexuality and this large temple to the worship of political power. The human heart changes ways that we worship, but not what we worship. I think in every culture, we'll find those things uh, lived out, that we tend to idolize entertainment, sexuality, and political power. And you'll find that many of the metaphors that Paul uses in Ephesians um, are giving us correct sight on these very things. You know, why does Paul talk to the church about being the bride of Christ? Why did he talk about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit? And why does he say that Jesus is Lord? Uh, he is coming against all of these um, lies in the culture of the day. He's giving them glasses to see their culture around them. Now, the, the blessing of this is this is not just for the city of Ephesus. This is for Dover, for Rochester, for Concord. This is for us today to be able to see our situation rightly. And here's how Paul does this. He doesn't simply say, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Third phrase here, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. These saints are in Ephesus. At the same time, these saints are in Christ Jesus. And to understand Paul's thought, you have to understand this phrase. Paul sees salvation not just as a set of beliefs to understand, he sees it as a location. That to put your faith in Jesus Christ is to have your life that was at one time completely encapsulated by the location you're living in, whether that is Dover, whether that is Beirut, or wherever in the world it might be. We are all shaped by our location. We draw our values from our location. What we think is right and good is totally shaped by the location we are from. And Paul says, yes, you still live there, but now you are located in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're beginning to see life differently. Your values, what you think is right and good, are based on Christ and his kingdom. That way you can bring change to your physical location, because of the new spiritual location God has put you in, to the saints who are in Christ. And the story of what happened in Ephesus is so cool. 
Um, you should read it this week, Acts chapter 19. It tells the story of how over two years, Paul taught the message of Jesus in Ephesus. And over that time, people began to understand um, uh, the, the, the radical call of Jesus on their lives. And as they gained a clearer sight for life, their behaviors changed. And they changed so much that it affected the culture around them. Uh, in particular, Acts 19 talks about how uh, there was a, a whole um, industry of idol making in the town of Ephesus. And as people came to Christ and Jesus Christ, they stopped purchasing all of these little idols because they realized, oh, I don't have to try to placate the gods to make my life work well. I have Jesus Christ. I have all that I need in him. And so the market share for idols started to dry up, which angered the idol makers greatly. And so much so, they started a riot trying to oust the Christians. It's amazing that followers of Christ's lives changed so greatly that market share dried up for the idols. And oh, that in our day, Christians' lives would be so changed, so transformed, that some of the market share for things in our culture, like pornography, things like fear trafficked through political news media, that these things would begin to dry up because we are wrapped up in a different kingdom. We are living in Dover, but we are living in Christ. And our values come from here and affect there. That's what, happened, that's what happened in Ephesus. Things changed greatly in there because Christians were living in Christ. Third and last question for the morning here, and that is, why is the letter of Ephesians being written? Paul's writing it to the Ephesians uh, who are in Christ, and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, these words can sound so uh, fluffy, I guess, that we just might write them off as a nice greeting, a good way to open the letter. Don't just think that. They're way more than that. Paul is expressing to his hearers then and now why he's writing what he wants for them and for us. Two things, grace and peace. And I would say to you, those are two of the things we need the most in life. Grace and peace. So let's unpack them. Uh, when we hear the phrase grace, what do, we, what do we think? I mean, usually when you use the phrase grace, you might say, oh man, you know, they messed up, but I'm gonna show them grace. Or maybe um, you didn't pay your mortgage on time but you paid it within the grace period, so there was no penalty. Uh, usually, grace means you get a pass, right? That's how our fra the phrase is constantly used in our culture today. That really isn't the essence of grace, though, when you come to the scriptures. You see, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. So if you don't pay your mortgage on time, there should be a consequence, but if you don't get it, that's mercy. That's not, it's not a grace period, it's a mercy period. Grace is when you actually get something. Grace would be if the mortgage company said, I'll send you 100 bucks. That would be grace. We don't get grace from the mortgage company. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. And so Paul goes on, in a, a, particularly the first half of the book of Ephesians, and he wants us to know how graced we are. 
He says, God has given you adoption. You've been adopted into his family. God's giving you redemption. He's redeeming you at the cost of Christ's own blood to be his. He's giving you an inheritance that we could not have a bigger or a better inheritance waiting for us. He's given us status as a citizen of the kingdom. He's giving us power to live differently. He's giving us union with Jesus that we can know Christ and his love in our hearts. Matter of fact, verse three tells us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has been given to you in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Paul's saying you couldn't be richer if you tried. God is giving you everything in Christ. And we don't usually see that. We don't. We see our lack. And Paul says, here's a set of glasses. Put these on. See reality. In Christ, you couldn't be given more grace. And we don't get grace because we earn it. We don't get grace because we deserve it. We get grace because God loves us and gives it to us despite our own, our own sin. God gives us his grace. Second phrase is peace. God gives us grace so that we will experience his peace. That's how it goes. He gives us grace so we'll experience peace. And peace is not what we usually think it is. It's not just tranquil experiences. I mean, Paul is writing this from a jail cell. And this is not a peaceful circumstance for Paul. Peace is shalom. That's the Hebrew word, shalom. That's a sense of rightness and fullness. When everything is whole, and we all know that we feel at times like fractured people, that we don't quite see life rightly, that we still have hang-ups and hurts, frustrations, and we know we're not right. And the reason we're not right is because we all are out of alignment with God. And what God has done for us in Christ is he has completely forgiven our wrong and restored that relationship. And even though we are not yet all that we should be, Christ sees us as though we are. And we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So everything in our life can be falling apart around us, and that does not change our status with Christ. And if everything is right with Christ, everything is right forever. And so we have this grace given to us so that we can have peace regardless of any circumstance. And Paul's writing to the Ephesians, so they will know the grace of God and so they can experience the peace of Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for us over the next uh, two to three months, that as we put our glasses on, uh, put on the, the lens of Ephesians, we will see how much grace we have been given in Jesus Christ. And we will experience the peace of Christ because people who are living in grace and experiencing peace change the location they live in. They can't help but change the location because they're different. Our world does not operate on grace and peace. But we have this opportunity through Christ to live differently. So let's make there's a couple applications here. And this, um, how, how this letter goes, only, let me set this up first. How this letter goes is Paul does most of his application in the second half of the book. The first half of the book is Paul saying, here's the good news, here's how graced you are, here's what Christ has done. The second half of the book is Paul saying, now, here's how we can live differently based on that. So most of the application in the first half of the book is gonna be on us understanding putting our glasses on to see what Christ has done. Because we can't live differently 
if we aren't really understanding the good news. So, uh, three things this week to help us understand the good news better. Uh, first, I mean, there's four passages for reading. You could do this as a community group. You could do it individually. But four passages, uh, Acts 8, 1 to 3, and Acts 9, 1 to 31, are all about the Apostle Paul, kind of his story. Acts 19 is the story of Ephesus. It's great you get in the background of this book. Uh, and then I encourage you at some point this week to read through Ephesians. It wouldn't take you that long, honestly, maybe half an hour. Uh, take some time and sit down. It's great to read the book one time through and just kind of get the big picture of Ephesians. Second uh, application here is ask a couple questions. Yeah, I think I changed the question from my notes. <laughs> uh, ask, how might your location be affecting how you see reality? How might the location of Dover, uh, or maybe being a citizen of the United States, whatever it is, how might your location be affecting how you see reality? Because none of us is unaffected by the location we live in. And second question, in what ways has or could a location in Christ cause you to see reality different? And then third application, and um, this is uh, something I'm really challenging myself with two of the coming months. This news transformed Ephesus because the followers of Christ thought it was so good that others needed to know it. So who in your life right now, family member, friend, coworker, needs to know this good news? Who has God placed you near um, because you're to live and proclaim the good news to them? Begin praying for that person that God will put on your heart. So three things, read those passages, ask those questions, and prepare to share good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for what we see here in your word, uh, that you love us despite our sin, uh, that you have sent Jesus Christ uh, to redeem us, uh, that our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for uh, in the cross of Christ, that Christ has risen, uh, he has defeated Satan's sin and death, and Lord, he is coming again. And so we join with Christians all around the world today and throughout the ages who have proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, we re I know right now that when we look at the powers uh, in our world today, uh, Jesus may not seem to be um, so powerful compared to them. Help us to see rightly, Lord. Help us to see how he is now seated uh, on the throne, ruling. Help us, Lord, uh, to respond according to that reality. God, I pray for us this week. I pray you give us eyes to see in your word. I pray you give us eyes to see as we discuss with others. And God, I pray you be changing us and using us for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.